One of the things we really enjoy about community is we get to celebrate with one another, and we have a lot of mothers here, and so we're thankful for the mothers here, but we also realize not only are we called to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also to mourn with those who mourn, and days like this can uh, bring up a lot of different emotions for different people. Um, some people have lost mothers. Some people would like nothing more on earth than to be mothers and are unable. Some people have strained relationships with their mothers, and so we want to acknowledge that. We know that it's hard uh, for some people on days like this, but we're also thankful that we have a group of people, a community here um, that's like-minded, who is, is eager to uh, get to know and to love and serve one another. And so that's one of the things that my family has always really appreciated about Redemption Tempe. And uh, hopefully you guys can find community to plug into if you haven't already here as well. So we're thankful for the mothers and we're thankful for time together. We're going to be uh, looking into Titus chapter 3. If you guys have a Bible, go ahead and take it out. If not, then we have ushers in the back who are coming up. Just raise your hand if you need a copy of the Bible, and they would love to provide one for you. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Um, if you're a mom today, you can take two of them. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> so... <clears throat> This Mother's Day has been a very peculiar Mother's Day for my family in particular. Um, some of you guys may resonate with this. Our, our family has been struck by this like stomach flu plague that's going around. And so my wife very graciously uh, is not here today because she was up all night cleaning up the remnants of that with our children and uh, really embodying what it means to be a mother. So I'm thankful for her. Uh, conversely, I'm a victim, <laughs> so I'm going to do my best to be strong today. So in light of that, will you guys please pray with me before we get started? God, we thank you that uh, we have time together to celebrate and time together to provide real community with one another. We thank you that you are the God of mothers and celebrations and stomach viruses and Bibles and churches and time together. God, we thank you that you're spirit communicates. You promise where two or more are gathered and there are more than two here that you are present, God. Thank you for being present. Thank you for pursuing us and loving us. We pray that you would speak through me uh, in the midst of my weakness, God, that your spirit would be clear um, and that that would empower us to better love and serve our neighbors because you love and serve us. We love you, Jesus. Please help us to love you more. Help us to love one another more. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so we're, we're going to dive right in today, and if you guys have been around Redemption for a while and you've heard me preach before, one of the things that I consistently get feedback on is from time to time, um, I may slide a little like political illustration, political thought into my sermons, and some people love that and some people not so much. So my goal um, in approaching my next sermon was that I would not talk about politics at all. Um, I thought that that would be healthy for the church, healthy for me, uh, and just to move away from that. And so when Ricardo gave me this passage, and I opened up, and it starts with, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, <laughs> I thought, okay, well, there's, there goes that plan. And especially uh, in a season like we have right now, whatever side of the aisle you find yourself, however you align politically, there is tension. And there's strife, and there's insecurity, and there's fear, and there's rage, and there's all types of ugly things being posted on Facebook and Twitter and spoken around dinner tables and causing division. This is a turbulent time, and as believers, 
We need to think intentionally about how we approach these things. So Paul starts off by saying, remind, remind them, which for me brought that sense of like, like conviction, right? Because Paul didn't say to instruct them as though this were new material. Paul says, remind them, hey, that quick reminder because they know this. This should be second nature. This should be practiced behavior. And as I read through this list, I realize uh, I'm not very well practiced at these things. And so I feel the weight of Paul setting the bar high and me not meeting up with it. So let's look at what he says. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Remember, he had talked about how the, the Cretans, whom Titus was ministering to, were insubordinate. So he's saying as believers, as people who know and are striving to serve and follow Jesus, remind them to be submissive, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, poised for action, mindful of opportunities to serve when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. He starts listing item after item, imperative upon imperative, and I continue to feel the weight of, I fall short of this consistently. Some of you guys that know me well can vouch for this. He goes on to say, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. If I'm honest, I struggle showing perfect courtesy to like a few people. Some of you guys can relate. Thank you. We struggle with these things. When we sit in rooms like this around like-minded people on a Sunday when the air conditioner is just right, it's easy to show perfect courtesy. But when we leave and we're hungry, we have that like after church hangries come, and the car cuts you off, and that guy's driving slow, the perfect courtesy's out the window. In the middle of the night, when the kids wake up sick, it's really hard to show perfect courtesy, especially when you got to, like, you know, talk to a whole bunch of people in the morning. But that's real life. This is real life, and this is what Paul is addressing. He's addressing real-life situations, real-life interactions that we've all had with people whether online through social media, in our families, with our friends, co-workers. I mean, be submissive even to that boss who has no idea what they're doing. As we approach texts like this, it's really easy to take like that spiritual like, oh, mm, thank you, Jesus, I know just who this passage is for, not me. This is for my spouse, this is for that coworker. this is for someone else. I hope we don't do that today. Show perfect courtesy toward all people. Four, because of what is about to follow, that's why we should be doing those things. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, 
Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So Paul is saying, hey, remind them of these simple elementary truths that they should be living consistently. Because remember how they used to be. And when I'm honest, and I think critically about my own life, those behaviors still pop up. The things of the old days still find themselves manifested in the present day. And that's unsettling. We feel the height of the bar that Paul has, has established as our standard, and we know at best we struggle to try to live up to it. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this in regards to the family member that we've talked to and talked to and prayed with and prayed with, and they are just not getting it through their thick skulls, are they? How do we approach this passage through the lens of the coworker who has betrayed you? Through the child who's turned their back on you? Through the parent who makes days like this a tough day to celebrate? This is where the rubber meets the road of our faith. We have to have a solid foundation. And Paul knows this, so he, he lays this out clearly. He gives us a couple theological concepts to help motivate our actions in these things. So that's what we're going to spend the bulk of our time in today. First, he says in verse 4, but there's a transition from the way we used to be to now. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, let's pause here. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, this loving kindness, this is the word from which we get the, the term philanthropy. But what Paul is speaking about here is not an abstract concept because concepts don't appear, people do. When Jesus took on flesh and became the full and perfect embodiment of God's goodness and loving kindness towards us, things changed. Think about if you guys have been here a few weeks, who's writing this letter? This is the Apostle Paul to Titus. The same Paul who was, we like to like clean his history up a little bit, Paul was a terrorist. Paul was traveling around assisting in the murder of Christians. Paul was persecuting the church. Paul was seeking new believers to throw into prison. And Jesus met him. Jesus met him in a dramatic fashion and things changed. Things couldn't help but change. When we have an interaction with this resurrected Jesus, he rearranges the furniture of our lives, so to speak. Things need to get messed up because we see how we were. We were disobedient. We were foolish. We were led astray. We were all these things. But Jesus steps in, and things change. Paul no longer went from city to city persecuting the church, but he went from city to city planting and establishing and building up the church. Things changed. He describes it this way. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
So the first term we're going to unpack, regeneration. It simply means to make new. A literal translation of the word would be to Genesis again. So if you guys think back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, when God is creating everything, He speaks. And out of nothingness, light appears. And the earth appears. And everything in creation appears. And then we see this moment where God enters into the garden. He gets down on his hands and knees and he begins to dig in the dirt. It says, out of the dust, he formed Adam, the first man. I can't help but marvel at this image of the creator of everything we ever have seen and ever will see humbling himself, getting his hands dirty, creating Adam out of dirt. Think about that. It's just soil. It's not like some soil is more special or worthy than other soil. It's just dirt. But when God enters in and sticks his hands into the dirt of our lives, he can create something new and totally different. And he doesn't just stop by creating him. He breathes life into him. And looking at the whole narrative of of Scripture, we know that our God is not a distant God. He's not a God who stands off from far away and hopes that his breath lands in Adam. No, he moves close, face to face, almost like a kiss of life. He breathes his spirit into Adam's lungs, and there's humanity. Nothing like that had ever been created. It was wholly new and distinct, different than the simple dirt than it once was. This is the first point in the creation narrative in which God says it is very good. When we come to faith in Jesus, this is precisely what happens. He genesises again inside of us. And so we see changed lives. We see people think about things differently. We see people ask questions that they never would have asked before because they're new. And then we hang out in church for a while and we learn all the stories and we know all the answers and we forget those moments of newness. We forget those moments of recreation that God has done, not by our works of righteousness, but because he's good and wants his loving kindness to appear in us. God makes us wholly, totally, uniquely new. We become sensitive to his spirit, but we don't become perfect, right? Oh, okay, just in the nine, they weren't perfect, but apparently the 11 o'clock is perfect. We become new, but we don't become perfect. And so the good news doesn't stop there. We're not just simply a new creation who now has a new opportunity to sin and wreck everything again. Paul goes on to say this. It says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration to Genesis again and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, 
so that being justified, this is the second term we need to unpack, justification, where regeneration is an inward term, justification is a judicial term. There's a quote by the theologian John Murray who, de- who describes it this way. He says, regeneration is an act of God in us. Justification is a judgment of God with respect to us. The distinction is like that of the distinction between the act of a surgeon and the act of a judge. The surgeon, when he removes an inward cancer, does something in us. That is not what a judge does. He gives a verdict regarding our judicial status. If we are innocent, he declares accordingly. So regeneration has created something new in us. Justification has provided a legal standing for us. And I like this illustration, but it, it falls short. I was, I was speaking with a friend this week about this, and, and it would be, it's difficult to describe because if we follow this judicial imagery, it would be something like this. We murdered someone. God the judge declares us innocent of that. As he's declaring us innocent of that murder, we are currently in the process of murdering someone. And this same judge also knows that as soon as we walk out of the courtroom, we will continue to murder other people. And he still declares us innocent. These illustrations are uncomfortable because they don't fit within our our, our paradigm here on earth. That doesn't make sense. But that's the good news. That these works of righteousness are few and far between. And they fall short. But God in his grace, through this regeneration, this washing of the Spirit, allows us to participate in the perfect life that Jesus led in his death and in his resurrection, we are declared justified. These abstract truths are the realities of our faith. These abstract truths are the things which should propel us towards that high bar that Paul set up for us in verses 1 and 2. And at this point, I start to feel like one of those infomercial salesmen, like, hey, you get regeneration, but if you act now, you also get justification. But wait, there's more. (laughs) He doesn't stop with that. We We aren't just created new. We're not just declared innocent positionally. There's more than that. Paul ends this passage by saying, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're not just new. We're not just justified. We're invited into the family. Through Christ, when God views us, he views us with the same love and compassion and relationship, and intimacy with which he views Jesus. This is mind-blowing. We had, um, I I told you guys, we we have sickness in my home. Pray for us. Um, So last night we woke up to my oldest son, who's four, uh, had, um, was nauseous and didn't make it to the bathroom. And my youngest son, also had an upset stomach. He's two, so he doesn't really have bathroom options. But uh, So there was lots of cleanup to do. 
And, and just when we get everyone settled, my oldest son gets sick again. And at this point, I'm like, Jesus, you know I got to preach in the morning. This is crazy. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I've been up for an hour. So we get him settled back down. And then there's like this crazy thunder and lightning. So then my, my youngest, he wakes up. The oldest is asleep. So then we get him calmed down. And then the oldest wakes up again. And, he's, and it's just this back and forth. And there comes a point, parents, you know this, this desperate plea of like, God, I just, I need to close my eyes. I can't care for these little people anymore. I don't know what to do. Just take them away. Jesus, come quickly. <sighs> he didn't. <laughs> but there was this moment where, where my, my wife crawled in bed with our oldest son because she fits in his little Lightning McQueen bed. I don't. And, and so I took the two-year-old in bed with me. And, and, you know, he's fussy. He doesn't feel good. He's, you know punching me and kicking me, and I'm trying to sing to him and rub his head, and he's, like, developed some MMA skills I don't know anything about, and, and it's just rough. It's, it's rough, and I'm tired, and I'm like, dude, just, you just got to calm down. You just got to go to sleep, and, and he's fighting it, right? He's just fighting it, and then there's this super loud thunder, and, and the windows rattle, and it almost feels like the house is shaking, and his little two-year-old self pro- propels himself up off of the bed and onto my chest, and he rests his head on my shoulder, and he just cuddles in. And I think, okay, it's worth it, because now I have a sermon illustration for tomorrow morning. Because <laughs> that's who we are, right? We make a mess of our room, we make a mess of the hallway, we make a mess of the bathroom, Our Heavenly Father knows what's best and we're fighting it. He knows we need rest, but we fight it. He knows what's best for us. Take a deep breath. Drink some water. You'll be okay. But we fight it. We fight against Him. We don't calm down because we think we know what's right. We're disobedient. We're led astray. We're foolish. And the Father's right there. And then the thunder comes. And we don't have anywhere else to turn, but we jump into our Father's arms, and He doesn't say, why don't you go clean up the bathroom your own self? (laughs) He hugs us. He wraps His arms around us. He holds us close. He stills our heart. He lets us find rest and peace so that we don't have to fight anymore. Church, this is really good news. I'm an imperfect father, And that's an okay illustration of how great the love of our Heavenly Father is for us. And so through this lens, through this lens of regeneration, through this lens of justification, through this lens of becoming an heir in the hope of eternal life, now we can come full circle. Now we can approach verses 1 and 2. Now we can be reminded that it's okay to be submissive to the rulers and the authorities because the kingdom that we belong to is not of this world. Just like Jesus told Pilate, if my kingdom were of this world, we wouldn't even be having this conversation, right? Like legions of angels would come and take care of it, but it's not, so it's okay. There's a greater good that we can engage in. And so when the rulers and the authorities may disagree with our thoughts and agendas, it's okay. There's still peace because Jesus has promised that the gates of hell will not overcome his church no matter who is elected. 
Thank you. We can be obedient. We can be obedient because we don't have to burden all of these imperatives that he commands us to fulfill. It's no longer a to-do list. It becomes a response because of the goodness of who our Father is. The lengths to which he went to make us new, to justify us, and to welcome us into his family with open arms. These things that once seemed so foolish now make sense. Why people would want to worship this Jesus, why people would want to read about him and pray to him, sacrifice themselves, their time, their resources, their money to spread this good news. You can't help but spread good news. Think about when you go to a restaurant, how much more our faith Church, it's passages like this that remind us, that call us back, call us back to our Father. This is difficult imagery in the same way that Mother's Day can be difficult for some of us. But what we long for in the ideal parent, what we hope for, what we hold resentment and bitterness towards people for because they fall short, is the very relationship that God is adopting us into. Therefore, the lists become exciting opportunities because we get to extend the same grace, the same love, the same forgiveness that God has extended extended to us. C.S. Lewis says it like this. You guys know it, redemption. I can't, you know, get out of a sermon without quoting C.S. Lewis at least once. C.S. Lewis says this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Not like the like kind of halfway, not a big deal sort of things, the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. My prayer throughout all of this is that we would be able to turn theological concepts into worshipful thoughts. That we would be able to understand that this regeneration to Genesis again, being made new, would cause us to fall on our knees and praise our Lord. That realizing we're justified, not just our past, not simply our future, but our present, but our future as well, would cause us to more fully walk like He did. Live like he did. Serve and love and give and be generous and hospitable and all of these things like he was. And to be gentle. I think about the ways in which God has pursued me. He's a gentle father. I think about the ways in which I interact with my neighbors and it's not always gentle. Whether I'm right or not. This is what Paul is calling us to as the church. This is what Paul is instructing Titus to remind the church of. Remember how God has pursued you. Remember how God has wooed you into a relationship with him. That's your discipleship plan. That's your plan for mission in evangelism, in love, in joy, in peace in patience.
and kindness. You guys know these? And goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? That's how we go out and impact our community. We need to take times to remember where we've been so that we know where we're going. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that it reminds us of how good you are, your loving kindness. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness when we were just soil, no value, nothing to contribute. You entered in. You formed us out of the dust and you breathed life into us and you have made us new. You have forgiven us for what we've done what we're doing and what we will do. Lord, you have forgiven us for sins we haven't even thought of yet. Thank you. And thank you for inviting us into your family. Thank you for being a loving father who holds us close when the thunder and the lightning are scaring us. Thank you for calling us sons and daughters. Thank you for the good examples of parents we have here and thank you for the other examples of parents that we have here, God. And thank you that no matter what you are, our good and loving Father. And in you we can find peace and rest and courage to share how good your love is with those around us.